Mark chapter 4, verse 21. We began the kingdom parables. And, and the kingdom parables that when I grew up in the assemblies of God, that I was taught that that is things to come. The kingdom age was to come. And then as we all grow up and develop and mature, we, we have to ask ourselves, then why in the wide world of sports would Jesus talk about a kingdom parable in an unknown distant frame of, of time? That doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. And the kingdom really depends, and we're going to get on it, we're going to get on it, is where you see the millennial reign. Because as most people feel like that Jesus is not fully king yet until the millennial reign will come. And that sounds kind of weird to you, but that's probably because you've been asleep during church. And, uh, but we've been proven to you that, as he has said in the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is within you or already among you. John the Baptist says the kingdom of heaven is now. You're looking at him eye to eye, referring to Jesus. And so the kingdom cannot be, when we separate the word, it means kingdom is the king of a domain. And, and so Christ is king now. Not only is he king in my heart, but he's king upon this earth. So Mark 4, 21, he begins to give us a little sneak preview of things to come. And this is what he said. He said, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or a bed? Is a lamp, or is it not to be said, on a lampstand? What is he referring to? The light. He is that light. And he said, do you think my father sent me to hide me? Do you really think that I've come to be concealed? I mean, for, for, for 1,500 years, almost 2,000 years, I mean, the prophets have been work, working in an, an enigma, which means a maze or in a fog, or they, they don't, they, all the pieces are there partially, but it's not put together. He said, I've come to bring light. I've come to bring order. And the great thing about this, when you turn on a light switch, it brings order to a room. Not only does it bring order to a room, but it gives you the ability to bring order to that room. It's kind of hard to rearrange the furniture when the light's off. I'm awfully glad that he turns the light on for us. Because I like to see what I'm dealing with. I hate stumbling over the furniture. I hate guessing about people. Even though somebody said, well, you can't judge. Well, that's not even biblical. But the thing about it is, I'm so glad that even when they went to the holy place, there was three things. There was the showbread, there was the candlestick, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. The very first thing in this dark, pitch black, dark tent, first thing, they lit the light. Because God said, I'm not going to let you mishandle the bread or stumble over the Ark of the Covenant. It's amazing. Jesus said, what I've come to do is I've come to be that light, not the light. Excuse me, not a light, but the light. We learned this last week. So as we begin this morning, he said, is not it to be said on a lampstand? So as the light is, he said, I've come into the world not to be concealed, but to be revealed. That is what he's come to do. And my job as pastor here is do my very best to turn on the light for some things. It, it may make you mad. You may kick the back bench, but it's okay. You'll get over it. I'm asking God to turn on the light of some things in your heart and your life. Reveal it to you. Reveal some things to you. So we read a scripture last week about John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Let's show this. 
This is the original Mr. Lampstand. That there was a man sent by God whose name was John, which is John the Baptist, which was his cousin. And this man came for the witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe, which is the light. John was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. This is what we're going to refer to as the original Mr. Lampstand. So when you understand they didn't have lighting like this, they had a candle. They had a floating container of small oil with a, a small floating wick on it. But the idea was this, that the higher you can get the light, the more visible the room becomes. That's, I'm not an electrician, but that's why we put the lights in the ceiling so you can see better. And John said, I'm not that light. My job is to make the light more visible, that the room can be filled with light. Now, so you hear me this morning. John the Baptist was the original lampstand for the light. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? He said, as the serpent was lifted up in the desert, so if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw men nigh unto me. Did you know that our responsibility is not necessarily to, to have church dinners and have potluck dinners? Our responsibility is to get the light where people can see him in, 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 in a greater way. Because I don't know about you, but I, I just got off an airplane flying back from Canada and Alaska, and I'll tell you, the, the, the scenery five miles up is a lot better than five feet off the ground in Canada. There's something wonderful once you get to a higher altitude. There's something more clear. And I'll tell you, the smoke and the fog and the smog that comes from California, and they need to keep all that stuff, once you get past that, I mean, you can just see for hundreds of miles, it seems like. And if you're not careful right now that there's so much going on in your life that you can't, I mean, you're just kind of making your way through the maze of fog and unbelief and disbelief and but I will tell you that the, the object of, of us as lampstands, and I'm going to use me, is to get Christ up. And I really don't care about anything about your theology and doctrine thinking. I just really want to know what the Scripture says. And he says once we get Jesus up and lift him up, then he'll draw men nigh unto him. Those that are called to the Father. And if they're not called to the Father, they're not going to come. So don't worry about it. And I don't know where we get off saying that we've got to make the church more like the world so the world will come. I thought that's what we were called to do, to come out of sin and, and come out of this mess. Our responsibility is not to look like the world. Our responsibility is to look more like Christ. And if the world don't come, then they don't come. And we're going to get into this divine election and the calling of God. If, he's, if you're called of God, if you, you will come to him. You cannot resist his will, Romans chapter 11 says. So don't sweat it. But if you're called of God, and for those that are not yet called, then it's our responsibility to keep the doors open that they may come in. So the original Mr. Lampstand said this. John the Baptist, he said, I'm the lampstand. I'm not the light. I'm just the lampstand. And it's my responsibility to make sure the light is elevated, that everyone can see that we come to light. And it was prophesied that even through Zebulon, that light would come in a dark place, that men would come to the light. So, we know a whole lot about the light. I want to talk to you about the life of a lampstand. Now, if you're interested in TBN and all this other stuff, and, and, and you see 
high-dollar and fancy preachers that are telling you everything's going to go good, you might as well just turn it off and watch Cartoon Network. Because the Bible says, those that live a holy or godly life will suffer persecution. It's impossible, Jesus said, that you go through this thing and not be offended. Two things we've been promised in the scriptures. Continual trials, but the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you that I've learned to trust God more in my hard times than I had in my successful times. So we're going to talk about, we're going to look at the life of the lampstand. The original lampstand. And this is found in Mark chapter 6, 14 through 29. And we're not going to read all these, but this is dealing with, here's the life of one of the greatest men. And even Jesus said this, no man that was born of a woman was greater than him. What a statement. Jesus said, no man ever born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. So anytime the Lord would say that about that, I think, I think he's worth looking into. Agreed? So this is, may not be a shout message, but I'll tell you what, you might want to write some things down because anyway, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of background about this. Herod the Great ruled over Palestine from about 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He was what we refer to as a, a vassal king. And a vassal king, by definition, means that he was insubordinate to another ruler. He was king of the Jews and over Palestine at the birth of Jesus, but he was not actually king over the territory because Rome was in control. So even though that Herod the Great, which was, it, he was vicious by nature, but he was, he was ruler of the Palestinians but, in Palestine, but, but he was under the authority of Rome itself. Kind of like a, a coach of a major league baseball team or football team, there's a difference between a coach and an owner. Herod was the coach, but someone else was the owner or the GM, and the coach could be fired. You understand that? So a coach could let this guy go in and let that guy go in, and, and he could throw the bomb and he could run the play. But if things weren't going well, the owner could take the coach out one way or the other. So even though that Herod, that had a reputation of being mean and vicious, but he still was a vassal king. He still was under the control of Rome. And we know the Bible is clear about this because they were very careful not to say anything against Rome. They would get a haircut right below the Adam's apple. This Herod, the Herod the Great, was the one that we have reference to when Jesus was born. Okay. And upon the death of King Herod, or Herod, which Herod is a title, the kingdom was divided into his four sons. Tetrarch is a word that's used. Tetrarch means rule one-fourth. So when you hear the word Herod Tetrarch, it's not his middle name. The word Tetrarch means one-fourth. So when Herod the Great died, he left his four sons to rule over all of Palestine in force. Now, the one we're going to look at this morning is the word Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was giving control over Galilee and Perea. As a matter of fact, this Antipas, his son, was the one that's mentioned in Luke chapter 23. He was a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. So Herod the Great died. Remember, 
when they went to Egypt and Jesus learned, the parents learned that Herod, because he was outraged as a child, he was dead, they made their way back to Nazareth. Now then his son Antipas was giving rule over Jerusalem, Galilee, and Perea. Antipas was responsible for the faith of John the Baptist. Now, up to now, the ministry of Jesus was being overshadowed by John. John was, was, was the latest thing going. He'd come out of the wilderness with, with long hair, eating grasshoppers, and, and he looked like Sasquatch in the Bible's times, I guess. And I mean, I mean, he didn't pull any punches. I mean, first thing, he looked at religious leaders and said, you're all a bunch of serpents and scorpions, and you all need to repent. He just told it like it was. No wonder they loved him. Huh? Mark chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Now King Herod or Antipas heard of him, which was Jesus. For his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are work, at work in him. Now leave that up there. So, so my job is to help clarify some things. Herod had John the Baptist executed. And we're going to talk about this. So now then, the fame of Jesus is becoming abroad, and, and they're hearing miracles that he's doing. He's turned the water into wine. He raised someone from the dead. And now then, the Bible says, King Antipas heard of Jesus because now then his name had become well known. And he said, this is John the Baptist reincarnated. It haunted him. Why would he say that? Why would King Herod say, this is John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist is no longer among us. Because he knew John the Baptist operated in the power of God. He knew that. Woo! And so now then, here comes Jesus. He's doing, he's doing miracles. And the first thing now, that it's, it's amazing. I told you last week, sometimes when you turn the light on, it brings comfort. And sometimes when you turn the light on, it brings conviction. Not everybody is fond that the light's in you. Not everybody is excited when you go to work that you got saved. So now then, King Herod, Antipas, began to hear about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the next verse will tell you that, that some people started making up things. Well, I think he's just a prophet in Elijah. And he said, no, it's John the Baptist. Because reincarnation was, 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 was up and going even back then through Hinduism. But watch this, verse 16. And when Herod heard all these other people say, well, it may be Elijah. And it, and it may be, he said, no, it's, it's, it's John. Because what? I beheaded him. Now listen to what he said. Jesus has come along. He's speaking things that, is, is, that is, is beyond normal thought process. He's saying things about the kingdom of God. He's saying things about things. And he said, it's, it's John the Baptist. He's reincarnated. And it haunted him. He couldn't, he couldn't shake it out of his head. Because I beheaded John. It's sometimes said that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, that's not necessarily so, 
Because we know that God has all power, but he's not corrupt. Matter of fact, I, I, I have a hard time figuring this out, but he says that he reigns upon the just and the unjust. And sometimes the litmus test for we as Christians is this. It's not necessarily that you get your prayers, your prayers answered. It's what happens is when God advances the wicked and he don't advance you. I know you've never had this, and, and see, this is a quiet sermon, but it's okay. It's okay. Have you ever been praying for a pay raise, and, a pay raise, and you've been going to church, and, and hopefully you've been tithing? If you haven't, well, no wonder you haven't. But if you, you've been doing all the things you're supposed to, and, and there's an old guy over here, and he's smoking long cigars, and he's, he's got all the bad habits that you used to have. And the boss walks in and says, I'm going to give you a $100,000 raise. And he looks at you, and he'll tell you, go back to work immediately we get offended. And we stomp our feet and say, well, God, it's not fair. You're not fair. I've been doing everything I was supposed to, and you're promoting the wicked. We have to get past that because the Bible says God reigns upon the just and the unjust. And Romans 3 tells it. You say, well, why? Well, that's a good question because the Bible says men come to repentance because of the goodness of God. He's good. Not only is he good to us, but he's good for us. So what happens is that, that, that not, it's not true that absolute power corrupts, but in human form, it's very true. So what does the Pharaoh of Egypt and the Nero of Rome, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and Danny DeVork all have in common? They have unlimited power within their nation or their home with no one exercising restraint against them. This was not Herod Antipas. He did not have the absolute authority of a pharaoh, a Nero, an emperor, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and many more like him. He had a certain amount of authority and power that just in case his evil impulses needed to be satisfied, he could do that somehow in a secret way, but he did not have absolute authority to do whatever he wanted to do. But he had a lot. And the Jews feared him. Because at a moment's notice that they could plant things into his mind and heart and saying that these people are speaking against Rome or these people are speaking against you. And he could have them beheaded just like that. And, and, and he, could, he could validate and warrant it executions just in the sake of blaspheming against Rome or the Jews itself. So he did not have complete authority so I need you to understand that the Herods did not have that much authority, but they, had, did, they did have control over the Jews. And it's amazing. John the Baptist was brave enough to try to restrain this tyrant. Now, so here's the original Mr. Lampstand. I'm not the light. I'm just the lampstand. And my job is to get him to a place where in a higher place. 
And here you have this King Antipas that's basically just running havoc and doing whatever he wants to that's evil on every side. And yet John the Baptist was the guy that would look him straight in the eye and say, listen, you're evil and you're corrupt. And God will judge you one day for your evilness. What's fascinating about this lampstand was that, are you well aware that Jerusalem and Judea was full of priests? Are you fully aware that John the Baptist wasn't the only guy that carried around a Bible or a new scripture? There was hundreds, there was even maybe thousands within the, the perimeters of Palestine, but yet not one would stand up to this tyrant. Why is that? You don't have to answer that. Why is it all these hundreds and thousands of, of scribes and Pharisees and priests and these Sadducees that evidently knew everything about the legislations of the law, but when he come to the king, they wouldn't even open their mouth? A wicked king. Funny, isn't it? Funny people like you until you stand up for God and you stand against sin. Funny. That's somewhere in my license of credentials of a minister, I think. And it's funny today that we as a church that we've accepted so much, but we're afraid to even say anything. I told Gailey yesterday, I went to an electrical store, it doesn't matter, but you know, I told you last week, sometimes the light don't have to say anything. The light just does what it does. I walked to the electrical store and there was, there was a big countertop and there was a guy in there that I knew who he was. He didn't come to this church, thankfully. It was just him and two or three other guys working behind the counter. And I kind of walked in the door, had a pair of sunglasses on, and I wasn't trying to shoplift. I was looking at screwdrivers. And boy, he, he was about from here to maybe Bill or Scott, and he was telling a good one. And when I mean a good one, it was a good old oil field joke. And if you that raised an oil field or a truck driver, you know. And I mean, he was right in the middle of it. Oh, boy, he had, he had all the watercolors out, and I could hear him, you know. Oh, they, boy, they were just having a big time with it. And I kind of walked up there, and he looked at me. He goes, oh. I said, how are you, Phyllis? And I mean, it, I mean those, those guys said they didn't know who I was. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. And I went on my business. Sometimes a lot. You don't even have to say anything. But, but you know, I, I want to say thank you for at least having enough respect in me that you won't continue your filthy, dirty joke. The Bible says in the book of Samuel that Israel never blushed at sin. Ooh. And so somewhere, I'm not telling you that we just have to beat people over the head, but somewhere, I mean somewhere, that, that we ought to have enough God and character of God within us that we, even we find ourselves in a situation, at least somebody may say, oh, I, I, I'll wait till they leave to finish this joke. I'm, I, I didn't give them a 30-minute message and an altar call. I just went about my business. But at least they had enough common sense to stop that conversation. So here's the sin situation that John the Baptist was dealing with. Antipas was married, but he was having a fling with his brother's wife. His brother was named Philip, and her name was Salome. She was referred to as Herodias, and Herodias is a title of the wife of Herod. Antipas finally 
took her away from her brother, and she came with a daughter, somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. Now, according to Jewish tradition, this lifestyle was completely forbidden by the Jews. Adultery was not permitted according to Exodus 20, 14, good old number seven. And sexual relationships with a brother's wife was forbidden. So here's, here's where we're at. Everything's been going good. <laughs> Everything's been going good until John the Baptist showed up. And so here comes John the Baptist. Herod had it going. Oh, he was handsome, wore a gray shirt, and oh, he was a good-looking little fella. And he, and, and he thought he was so great, he said, I think I'll just take my brother's wife because she's a looker. So he took her, and he married her. And here comes the lampstand. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't vow a victorium of my religious class, but I'm going to tell you there's two things that are wrong with this. Number one, the Scripture says, you can't commit adultery. Number two, you can't marry your brother's wife. There's always a party pooper in the bunch. Agreed? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, not only Herod heard it, but she heard it. And she was hot. You could fry an egg on top of her bun. Ooh. She was mad at him. And she said, how dare you of all the brass for this wild man that come out of the wilderness to give me a lecture of what I can and cannot do. Does he not know that I'm Herodias? I am second in charge of this kingdom. So what did she do? She put him in prison. Mark chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Therefore, Herodias held it against him, which is John, and wanted to kill him. <laughs> But she couldn't. She wanted to kill him. She wanted to kill him because all he, you know what he did? All he did was this, spoke scriptures. Made her so mad because all he did was just stand up and say, I just got two verses for you. You can't commit adultery and you can't have a sexual relationship with your brother's wife. And she was so mad, she said, I would kill you if I could. You'd be surprised the murders that are going in churches that are way beyond knives and guns. they are murders being committed with tongues and thoughts. Ooh. And I want to have you a question. What, what do you think that's rising up in you when you hear biblical principles? You think in, 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 in rage and wrath, you think that's God? That's, that's demons. Somebody asked me today, you think I got a demon? I said, I do. I think you got one. Somebody said, well, you can't have one. Oh, you know what you're talking about. There's a difference between possession and influence. Um, if you're born again of God, I'm not saying you can be possessed by the devil. I'm just telling you, you can be influenced all day long. Same way you can say there's a bottle of Jack Daniels right there, and I can drink that, and it won't bother me. Yeah, drink that, and I'll wake you up in three days. You can be influenced so much by demonic influences that you act just like a drunk man. Don't ever say, well, demons won't bother me. <laughs> Here's a bullseye on your forehead. She was so mad at him because he spoke scripture. He spoke truth. 
but she could not kill him. Now, verse number 20, watch this. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man, and Herod protected him. And when he, Herod, heard John speak, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. He's telling you that Herodias had the power to put him in jail because she wanted to shut him up, and she said, I would kill him if it wasn't for hubby here. But the Bible says that Herod feared John. He had a reverence and a respect for John. And I told somebody today that one thing about it, that, that, that John the Baptist was both feared and fascinated by Herod. It wasn't the word feared like he was afraid that John was going to call fire from heaven and barbecue him. It wasn't that kind of a fear. It means he, he was respected. Herod respected John, and he was fascinated by him. As we go out into the world, one of the greatest things we can do is, 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 is not only to have the fear of God in us or with us, it means the respect of God, but there should be something about us that would cause people to say, Man, I'd like to know what you know. Because watch this. Because there's thousands of Bible toters around me, but there's none like you. There's hundreds of Pharisees. There's hundreds of scribes. There's thousands of priests that's going through their course. But, but you, you're the only one that would ever stand up and call what is right and what is wrong. And my wife wants to kill you, but I... I'm going to protect you because I love to hear you talk. And you, you make me so fighting glad and some, so, so, so fighting mad and shouting glad, but, but there's something about you that I know that you're a holy and you're a just man. Sometime in our churches, we, we've got this Jiminy Cricket mentality. For you young ones, you don't know who Jiminy Cricket was, but he goes, give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your God. Anybody hear that old? I know Danny DeVore is. <laughs> Happy little family, Jimmy. Jimmy Cricket. Always let your conscience be your God. That's dangerous. And I think what's happened is our conscience in the church has silenced the scriptures in our heart. Because I want you to hear me loud and clear. You cannot trust your conscience. Ooh, your conscience will get you in trouble every time. Because here's the problem with conscience. Everyone has a conscience. And even when people do bad things, God built within mankind a conscience. And even when we do things bad and people even sitting in prison cells, they have an awareness, probably what I did was wrong. It's bad. But the problem with a conscience is, is that your conscience can experience so much hurt and pain that it, it forms callousness around your feelings. And now then the Bible says that your conscience becomes sure. Watch this. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Watch this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly or loud and clear that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
No, wait a minute. Everybody says we're living the last days. Agreed. The churches are now filled with, with secular humanism dealing with the conscience of man instead of dealing with the heart of man. The Message Bible says it's something like this. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. Whew. And these liars have lied so well for so long that they're lost in the capacity for truth. Professional liars. John was not a professional liar. John was in the business. If I make you uncomfortable, I don't really apologize. I'm just here to tell you that God's a holy God and he expects holiness and righteousness from his people. And this is weird today. We live, in, we live in a setting of churches where we no longer talk about conviction and we no longer talk about these things. We just talk about let your conscience be your God. The Bible says the heart is above all things. It's evil. You can't trust it. So this is the deal that when you can't, your conscience is seared. It's a medical term, but you have a nerve endings, welded, branded, seared, carterized that you no longer feel it. And so now then when you first got married, you open the door and say, oh, honey, I love you and blah, blah, blah. And now then 30 years later, you're slamming the door on her and just, you know, you, you don't care because what's happened. Something has happened in the past that seared your feelings for that person. And if you're not careful that going through church and following the scriptures, that if you're not careful, you quit following the scriptures and now then you're following your conscience and your conscience can become callous and hard that now then you can do whatever you want to do and you feel like you're getting away with it. I didn't say that. The Spirit says it. Don't get mad at me. If you want to get mad, get mad at God. And I don't advise that at all. <laughs> We're going back. Don't, don't throw things at me. He says it. Professional liars in the pulpit. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a right to tell you that everything's going to be okay. I'm just going to tell you, you better buckle up, buttercup, and hang on. Oh, this thing, we're all going to get out here on the rapture bus. I doubt that, seriously. I know we're not. I believe the second coming, but that rapture bus, I, you know, you done heard me talk about that. I'm just telling you, people will abandon the faith and they'll chase after professional liars. And they'll tell you what you want to hear. Watch this. And they've lied so long that their lies become truthful. You've been around them. They've lied so much they don't know what truth is. I know that the word of God is true. So instead of me making stuff up, it's just easier for me to give you scripture. All right. Let's close this thing out. So now we're going to get to the party dancers. This is Herod's stepdaughter. Mark chapter 6, verse 21 through 26. Then an opportune, or his birthday came, when Herod on his birthday came, and he gave a feast for his nobles and high officers and the chief of men of Galilee, all the dignitaries and all the webs and the borks were invited. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, it pleased Herod and those who sat with him. Now, this is, a, this is not very nice, but the king sat, said to the girl, ask me what you want and I will give it to you. He is, this demon is already working in him over time. It's an erotic dance. The girl's mother put her up to it. She couldn't kill him. But I will tell you, your enemy, if you won't buy the top water plug, he'll throw a worm on the bottom. 
She wanted to kill him. I just told you that. Scripture says she wanted to kill him, but I can't kill him. But she said, I have ways. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get his head. Did you, can I say something to you? Are you well aware that, 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 that our enemy wants my head? I guess you don't know that. Are, are, you, are you really aware? I'm not, I'm not a professional liar up here, and I'm not here to entertain and entertain with clowns and circus tricks. Do you understand that there is a real war after you? And if he can't get you one way, he'll try another way. If he can't get you personally, he'll use your kids. And if he can't get you your kids, he'll use your grandkids. Or the next door neighbor will move in with about 100 cats. One way or the other, he said, I'm going to get him. And they may not come in there as a motorcycle gang and driving motorcycles. We may come in with Bibles in our hands. And we'll be patient. We'll get him. Because he's a lampstand to the light. And darkness hates the light. When you think God is patient, God is patient, but your enemy's patient because he's been around a long time. So Herod said, he also swore to her, whatever you ask me that I'll give it to you, half of my kingdom. Now, this is a play of words. I mean, he's Mr. Big Shot. So she's dancing up a storm. And he said, oh, I'm just so, in fact, that the demons are alive and well. I'm getting what I want. And, and you ask me, whatever you want, I'll give it to you in the presence of all these people. So she just went out and she told her mother, what shall I ask for? And her mother said, a new car, a new camel, a new fur, a new set of shoes, a new set of high heel Palestine pacers. What did she say? I want the head of John the Baptist. Why in the world would she want the head of John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist was in the business of promoting the light. And immediately she came in with haste to the king and said, that I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Man. And the king was exceedingly sorry, and yet because of the oaths, because of what he said with those within him, he did not want to refuse her. Now, one of the problems with this is that, that God would never validate or verify an oath that would require the life of someone else. Once again, where was the priest that said, you cannot take an oath that would cause another man to surrender his, another man's life? Now, Jephthah kind of did it. There's some controversy over that. But Jephthah went to battle, came back, and said, Lord, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing, come out the door, and his daughter came out the door. Now, there's some great controversy, and, and so we know if you've been raised in modern churches in Sunday school that, that he killed her. And there's some things to, that is that we can argue about that, really. But Jephthah should have said this, I made a mistake with my big mouth. Has anybody here besides me and Danny Bork ever said anything that we wish? Thank you, Mark. Not yet. We'll get to you, Mark. You said some things that you wish you hadn't said. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Deny you. All these other 11 will deny you, but not me. And he goes, oh, Simon. What Jephthah should have done and what Herod should have done, what Jephthah should have done was this, as a God's man that was recorded in, in, in Hebrews 11, he should have said this. I shouldn't have ever said that. I took an oath, but I shouldn't have said it because God would never require me to take a life on an oath. 
because they go against his word, commandment, thou shalt not kill. Or commit murder is the right translation. Commit murder is the right word. Because there's three licenses for killing the Bible. One is self-defense, one is war, and um, I forgot the other one. Capital punishment, thank you. Romans 13. But he says, thou shalt not commit murder. So all these scribes that are around, and, and, and we go back to this, but somebody from the religious sector should have said this, King Herod, with all due respect, that God would never require you to follow through on an oath because it required the life of someone else. So why don't you just swallow your pride and repudiate that vow and then start over? But he had too much pride because of all of his buddies that was with it. Have you ever been with a group of people and your buddies and, and, and they're part of doing something in a joke or or, or, or something, and, and, and everything screaming and saying, you need to get out of this situation, but because you didn't want to embarrass your friends, you stayed right there. Knowing you should not be in that environment. Knowing you should not be a part of that joke. And I'm telling you right now that when you find yourself in that situation, whether it be work or wherever, you don't have to pull out a scripture and say, well, the Bible says you can't tell dirty jokes. Well, it doesn't say that, but you understand what I'm telling you. Just walk off. I found out through the years that people's come to my life, and they come to my life not necessarily to help me, they come to my life for me to help them. I appreciate you coming into my life because I... I'm, I'm, I, I really do, but I'll tell you that I've learned through the years that most of this is not people come to my life to better me. It's the fact that I'm in the business of trying to better them. But if you get to a point where you're going to continue in stupidity and self-centeredness and you always want to, to say things and do things that's questionable the things of God, I'm not going to give you a lecture. I'll just walk off from you. I'm not mad at you. But the Bible said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's better not to say a vow than to have a vow and break it. But I'll tell you what, that sometimes we have to say this, that even though that I said this and I said that, but you know what, I, I said it out of turn. I was misspoken. God would never require me to do this. And the question at hand is, when she asked for his head, Herod's response was this. He was very sorrowful. But he wasn't enough sorrow to repudiate the vow and save John the Baptist, whom he loved. And he executed the lampstand. And the Bible says when the disciples went to Jesus in another gospel and told them what had happened to John, Jesus broke down crying. And that's when he said there was none that was ever born of a woman that was greater than John. Here's an here's a amazing fact. Did you know that the world is so sick of phonies? They're just so sick of phonies. And you know, when I wasn't in church, I could tell you who was a phony and who wasn't. And I'm telling you this morning, when I say a phony, let us in Jesus' name, let us just be lampstands. I ask the Holy Spirit this morning, but the light of the gospel just rests upon us that we'll shine in a dark place. We'll give light to those that doesn't have light. Jeremiah said, as the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, O Lord, 
I'm drawn to you because of your goodness. Do we have any lampstands here this morning? And you don't have to say anything. But you were born to make sure that the light of Christ can rest upon you. That all will men will see the good works of God in your life. So the question at hand this morning, did everything go good for John the Baptist? The answer is no. Not everything positive is going to happen to you. I don't care how much positive confession you have. Not everything positive is going to go your way. You won't always be happy. You won't always be successful. You won't always be good looking and, and well built in your body. Things sometimes will not go your way. You're going to lose family members. We're going to lose loved ones. It's going to happen. But whatever we go through, let us continue to be lampstands that Christ can be glorified in our life. Can we do that? I was not sent here to be concealed. I was sent by my Father to reveal the good works of my Father. And I have lampstands that'll hold me up and dispel darkness. Father, thank you for just taking the time that Mark did to give us some insight on the life of John the Baptist. It's really kind of eye-opening. And it's really a precursor of our life today that that we've been called to display your glory. We have been called to, to shine forth and give the opportunity for the life of Christ to be seen and demonstrated to a world that needs to know you. You are the only Savior. All we are is the vehicle and the lampstand. But unfortunately, we have been convinced in the last few years that being the lampstand, that everything will go our way. We'll be successful on every side and we'll be fruitful on every hand, but that really wasn't the way of John. So this morning, for these people here today, that for whatever they're facing right now, be glorified in our life. I'm not asking you to change my circumstances, Father. I'm just asking you for whatever I'm going through right now and wherever we are right now, Rest upon us and be glorified. Let it be seen with my broken heart. Let it be demonstrated with my brokenness. Wherever that we are right now, financial problems, marital problems, wherever we are right now, be glorified in us. That men will come to know your son, Jesus. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. If you believe that, stand and give the Lord a praise offering, huh? The Lord is worthy this morning. Turn about two people and say, listen, I really can see Jesus in you, really. Thank you for being a light. Thank you for allowing him to shine in you and demonstrate through you. Communion servers, if you'll make your way this morning. It's okay if, if the world doesn't accept you. Listen to me. It's okay if not the world doesn't embrace you. It's okay. It's okay if, if the religious organization doesn't give you the key to the city. It's okay. Just let Christ shine in you. Wherever you go, in the field or in the city, 
Just let him shine in you. If Jesus cannot be real to you, he cannot be real through you. So just let it shine. That night he sat with his disciples and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Passover with the unleavened bread. But he said, I am the bread now that my Father has sent from heaven. And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. Then he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the lamb's blood that was placed upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But as John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, and my father will take my blood and place in the shape of a cross. And the death angel and the Abaddon will pass over you. Father, this morning, for every lampstand that is here, let us boldly display the light of Christ that all men will know that God is good in Christ's name. Amen.